This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Westwards Mini Masterclass for 2023. We are back. We have had a great break. We hope you have as well over the uh, over the holiday season. But we are back, bigger and better than ever. And in case you don't know, the Westwards Mini Masterclass is a collection of interviews slash conversations with creative people. We have interviewed and will continue to interview artists, writers, illustrators dramaturgs, actors, musicians, songwriters, even people who run quirky little cafes that focus on creativity. So if you know of somebody who you think would be a good interviewee for something creative, we would love to hear from you so we can make that happen. But we will be bringing these to you fortnightly over the year. And don't forget that there is a massive collection of, God, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's something like 60 uh, previous episodes that you can go back and enjoy that are all on this on the uh, Westwards mini masterclass podcast site and you can access them through our website westwords.com.au. So this is the first one for 2023 and we're off to a flyer with Hilary Bell. Hilary Bell is a writer, a playwright, a screenwriter, a librettist, a dramaturg. She's all of those things. She's also a bit of an expert in musical theatre and I later in this interview completely uh, exposed myself as being an enthusiastic but uninformed <laughs> fan of musical theatre. We cover all sorts of things in this particular uh, conversation. We talk about musical theatre, we talk about songwriting, we talk about missing schoolgirls that are still probably missing after 50 years and how you can make a play about that. And we even touch on perhaps, oh, this is going to be controversial, but perhaps the most overrated film ever made. Love, actually. I know, I know. I'm going I'm to elicit a lot of responses for that, but that's just how it is. That's how it has to be. Love, actually, officially one of the most overrated films ever made. And if you'd like to reply to me and let me know that you disagree vehemently, james at westwords.com.au is my email. You can get in touch with me and we can talk about why I'm right and you're wrong. Anyway, let's get... So Hillary was the uh, final or the... One and only, in fact, for 2022, Daffodil Cottage resident. Daffodil Cottage is a beautiful cottage in the Blue Mountains up in Katoomba, North Katoomba. And it's owned by a lady called Katie Jenkins, who very generously gives us a number of uh, weeks at this cottage for us to um, basically manage to allow people to come and do residencies there. Writers... Uh, actors, screenwriters, musicians, anyone who's doing something creative and needs some time away can apply. We will be doing another call out for the next uh, block in the second half of the year. So keep an eye on our newsletter and our website. But Hillary was uh, up in the Blue Mountains to work on a play called The Book of Harold and also to work on some songs for a particular musical that you will hear her talk about in the interview. So this was Hilary Bell and a conversation I had with her in December. Please enjoy. We are currently in the, um, in the beautiful Daffodil Cottage in Katoomba. Um, 
we've been here before on this podcast a few a few times before the lockdown happened. We had a few and then it kind of collapsed for a while and we're back. So before we go any further, I want to say thank you to the Odessa Family Foundation who, who support this and also to Katie, who's the owner of the property, who was very generous allowing us to use it. So Hilary, tell us a little bit about you and why you're here. Mm. I'm a playwright. Um, I also write children's books and um, I have probably, if anybody knows the books, the best known one is Alphabetical Sydney, which is celebrating its 10 year anniversary next year. Um, But mostly I write plays and I also write musicals. I write the book and the lyrics of musicals. So while I've been here, I've been primarily working on a new play, which is a commission for the ensemble on uh, the North Shore of Sydney. Okay, is that, so that, where, where's that based? That's... It's in Kirribilli. Okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful little theatre. It seats about 220 and it's very intimate. It's not that little, really. 200, not, that's not a fair tiny. size. No, yeah. no, but um, actually I have a play on there right now. So A Christmas Carol is playing as we speak. Um, based uh, on the Dickens? Yes, an adaptation of the Dickens. And my father, John Bell, is playing Scrooge. So oh, that's nice. been really wonderful and joyful working with him. And um, my husband, Philip Johnston, wrote the music and I wrote the lyrics for it. And uh, we have a fabulous director, Damien Ryan. So that has been on. It's probably in its uh, second week right now. Anyway, so this new play... It's have you called... had a chance to see it? Yeah, Because you've yeah, been here for a week, yeah. so... But you, yeah, okay. yeah, no, I saw it a few times before I came up. Um, but the new play is also for the ensemble. So it's called Summer of Harold, and it consists of three short plays. So two monologues and a duologue. Right. And I had written one before I came up. And while I've been here, which is now five days, I think, um, I've pretty much sketched out and started the other two, which is really great because I was wondering when I was going to find the time and this week has just been an absolute godsend. I've been on writer's residencies of my own or whatever and Mm. um, I know how they work for me and a lot of it is it can be hard to kind of get yourself up and going sometimes but but what's been the big advantage for you? Well I'd say just to follow on from what you said because I think you know for some people they just kind of land and the creativity pours forth but for me, because I've been working on Christmas Carol, but also two other plays at the same time, um, it took me kind of a day to just turn the mental battleship around, you know, to... But I like that, mental <laughs> battleship. It's like a super tanker almost yeah. sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. And, you've, and you just, you know, you've just got to kind of let that happen and um, get your head out of the other projects and immerse yourself in the new project. And And the wonderful thing about being here too is you don't have to stop and make dinner for the family or um, go and do the shopping or even put on the laundry because there's no laundry to put on. You you can work day and night if you want to. Well, people who've listened to this podcast over the last couple of years, years have heard me say this before, but convincing my... Or maybe you could have a chat with my wife because convincing my wife that being in the hammock at <laughs> two in the afternoon is part of my process can be challenging. It is. Right? It's part of the process. <laughs> Watching movies. Capital P process, honey. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So Watching movies, exactly. You know, part my, of the process. Planning my Netflix account, my Amazon <laughs> account, all of it, right? <laughs> anyway, so that's the main thing I've been doing is working on that new play. And I'm also working on a musical of Picnic at Hanging Rock, 
the famous is Joan it, Lindsay okay, novel. So I've got to ask. I've got mm. to ask. Is it called Picnic? Or no, is it called Rock? Picnic, or is it called exclamation mark. No, it's called Picnic and Hanging Rock. <laughs> picnic exclamation mark. Yeah, it's got to have the, it's got to have the exclamation mark, doesn't it? <laughs> so um, I've been working with a wonderful composer whose name is Greta Gertler Gold, and we've been working on that for about a year and a half, and we are just about to submit the first draft. Of that so we've she lives in New York so when she's awake I'm asleep and vice versa so we work by email and um, we've just been finishing off a couple of songs mm. while I've been up here as well so <laughs> so many questions <laughs> musical about picnic at hanging rock I mean is, is it based so that mm. was that a movie before it was a no, book before it was a movie it was a book written in 1967 oh. by Joan Lindsay and who was actually married to Daryl Lindsay of the famous Norman Lindsay Brothers, okay, yep. a, a famous Blue Mountains so resident. Room, exactly. That's right. That, that amazing light that you've been seeing out that that north window of this mm. house, that's what the artist all came here for, that, right, that yes. late afternoon golden yes, light, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Joan Lindsay herself started off as a painter but then became a writer. So um, that was written in 67 and then Peter Weir made the film yes. in 1975. Did they ever film Miranda? They never found Miranda. They never did. <laughs> and then more recently there's been this Netflix TV series. Um, and I think there's, well, there's a wonderful play written by an uh, adaptation, a theatre adaptation written by Tom Wright. So there, there are adaptations in various forms out there. And, in fact, there is a, a musical written by an American writer, um, but ours is the first Australian musical. So what drew you to that particular story? Was, I mean, um, was it the, uh, watching it as a young person yes, going, holy crap, this I is I think, a... you know, when I, when I, I, it came out when I would have been nine and I think I saw it when I was pretty young and it's just so scary. It's it so is. beautiful. It's, it's freaking terrifying. It yeah. is. And, in fact, Greta and I went to Hanging Rock last December. Today, this day last year, we were at Hanging Rock and we watched the movie that night. And we were too scared to go to bed. <laughs> did you come? Did you? Did Greta come home with you, or is she still up there somewhere? <laughs> no, she. We made it. We made it out alive. But um, it's just—it's so mysterious. It's mm. so—it's it, there's so many ways you can interpret that story. It's got so many um, potential readings. And was it based on a real event? No. And well, Joan Lindsay was very um, ambivalent about how true or how not true it was. She she said, to me, the events were terribly real. So what, oh, however you want that's, to... Oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's such a nothing statement, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> From a writer, that's nothing. But yeah. I think that was her genius as well, was um, not revealing what happened. And it, actually, there was a final chapter written, the famous 18th chapter, that her editor convinced her to delete. And... Um, that chi- that actual chapter does tell you what happened and it's a very surreal ending but not having that makes the story so more so much more powerful oh, and resident, for sure resident. i mean i'm just hearing you say that i mean we to reference back to one of the podcast episodes and we talk about the ambiguous ending i I'm, mm. i personally as a young adult writer and children's writer i love the ambiguous ending because it it leaves the audience sort of sitting in that long after they close mm. the page or turn off the telly and go, and it makes it almost come to life mm. retrospectively, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's right. And it gives you something so, much yeah, to talk about and think about. Yeah, I've often had kids say to me about some of my books that I finished ambiguously. Mm. I've 
like I, I say they hate it <laughs> and they say but what happens yeah. what happened to him after that and they go I don't know yeah. I don't care it's nothing to do with me I just tell the story and we're all done you know? <laughs> apparently mm. in in the first screening in the states of picnic at hanging rock one of the executives threw his coffee cup at the screen at the end because there was no ending and he was furious yeah well that's okay so maybe I'm Maybe I'm generalising. I oh, know I'm generalising. But I think... But that's a, that's a sort of very American cinema approach rather than a European cinema yeah. approach, Yeah, and also it? I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We're still obsessed with that story right. 50 years later. And, um, you know, in the research that I've been doing, if every time I go on Google and put Picnic and Hanging Rock, there's a huge trove of new articles, essays, readings, versions, adaptations, scholarly papers, you know, no one can leave it alone. So there's something very profound, I think. That's, yeah, if that's we found people. Harold Holt's body at the bottom of a cliff now, that would, wouldn't be the same story no, anymore, would it? You no, know, that, that Chinese right. submarine thing kind of whole, carries it on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, that's, um, so when you... what. Okay, so many questions. Oh my god! <laughs> From a musical point of view, mm. did it, was what was the stylistic kind of what the stylistic decisions mm. were made by Greta in terms of <clears throat> you know the music? Yeah, um, well, Greta comes from a singer songwriter background, so she came to musical theatre probably about ten years ago, but um, spent you know her early career, the first twenty years or so of her career as a singer songwriter. Um, but she does work with other lyricists like me. And she, I love her music. But this is our third musical together, actually. But what I really love is she has a very dramaturgical way of thinking about songs. She, Can you not, define that for the listener? Yeah, so, you know, maybe a pop song has one idea. You know, a great pop song, it can, it can have one idea um, and you... You, you look at that maybe from different angles and then um, but it doesn't necessarily shift anything whereas a song for the theatre needs to perform almost like a little tiny three-act play the character has changed by the end of the song the character has resolved something learned or learned something, something about themselves yeah. yes or um, denied something about themselves but something has to shift in a song for musical theatre and Greta really understands that and not only is able to kind of find musical solutions to that, but um, gives me really good feedback on the lyrics as well. So, um, and you know, in a musical, it's really important. It's not just, oh, let's let's have a song every five minutes. You know, you have to think where is a song earned and where is a song necessary? And where do you have a reprise? And where do you have um, a brand new song? And how do you open the second act? And because we've talked in the past on this podcast about Hamilton and, and mm. I, don't know, I don't know if you're a lover or I hate it. But, I love it. I love Hamilton. But the amazing thing about that is that, um, yeah, as you say, every every song is earned mm. and somehow it seems like a really dry subject and yet somehow it, it's just it's you carried so along modern, this incredible story. Yeah, yeah, and so lively and so cheeky. I think, you know, you've got to have... Picnic at Hanging Rock is a quite... Um, melancholy story and and there's a lot of sadness in it the loss and the grief that is part of that story but we've got to find lightness and humor and warmth as well because you need that in a musical so i i i worked on a libretto years ago about the killer whales of eden mm. with todd mcneil and we we found the need in the end to 
make the departure of the killer whales from that amazing story that, you know, I've talked about before. We almost had to... Well, we didn't almost. We actually had to make it almost mystical. The, mm. the killer whales all left with... with because, all left because of a broken heart, not because mm. the whaling industry had, had declined. Is that something you found you had to do, is kind of step out, step outside of logic and make it more kind of mystique or not I'm not I'm not I'm not explaining it very well yeah, my question. Not but out of logic, but we have created our own framing device. Right. And Joan Lindsay is a is a central character in our version. Okay. So the story of Picnic at Hanging Rock ends kind of at the three quarter mark and then there's a whole other story that frames it. Um, with another mystery that um, does get solved, but we leave intact the unsolved mystery of Picnic. Um, so there is that. And then also, you know, we've we've done a, a lot of our own kind of adaptation in terms of streamlining the characters. Mm. We can't have 30 girls on stage because we can't afford that. Maybe, maybe and, in the future. <laughs> and, and if you have too many characters, you end up with Love Actually, which nobody wants. Right. right. Um, and also... <laughs> oh, that's going to be... Sorry, that's going to be an incredibly un, unpopular... <laughs> Well, I've, I've never seen Love Actually. Oh, so don't, 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 don't even bother, please. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get hate mail, but seriously, yeah. it's one of the worst things ever made. But... <laughs> um, and also, one of the really important things I think in Picnic is when it was written, there wasn't really um, a, a, an acknowledgement of it being on country and of the cultures to which it belonged, and we want to do that. Um, we don't want to make it all about that because it's not all about that, mm. but you can't in this day and age not acknowledge the First Nations people that lived there and were disappeared themselves from yes. that place. While you feel that it's important to do that, is, does, it also, does that also lend you some creative yeah, kind absolutely. of energy? And absolutely, yes, yes. And it adds a completely new story layer, in fact, without, um, without kind of uh, distracting from the main story. Because, again, since we're adding this new story with Joan Lindsay, we need to kind of actually simplify mm, the mm. novel's story so that um, it, it's not overwhelming and confusing with all these different strands, but um, having that acknowledgement of, of those people and um, the, the terrible tragedy of the, the loss of those people and the yes. removal from their place um, is really key in our version, yes. So where is Hanging Rock exactly, the real place? Um, is it, it Victoria? It is about an hour outside Melbourne. Right. Yeah, it's in Victoria. In the Dandenong Ranges or something? Uh, it's near Mount Macedon. Yes, okay. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. So I guess my next question then is, you're not in Mount Macedon writing this, you're in the Blue Mountains. And we, I'll say we mm. in the Blue Mountains, have a very proud <laughs> tradition of some pretty creepy stories. And Henry Lawson himself wrote about some, you know, people going missing, oh, ghosts wow. down at Hartley, those mm. sorts of things. Is Have you found that the setting up here has in any way contributed to what you've been writing? You can say no yeah. if it has Well, you know, it actually has for Summer of Harold. Um, I, I, I think I'm setting one of the plays in the Blue Mountains. I think it's going to be set at Katoomba Falls, actually, which before I arrived here, I had no idea where it was going to be set or how landscape or place would impact that story. But Picnic at Hanging Rock, um, yes, sort of. Um, let me say also most of it's been written and we're just kind of doing the tail ends of some song fixings but um interestingly 
when Peter Weir and Patricia Lovell, the producer, were embarking on making the film, you know, they had no money and they were going, well, maybe we'll just go up to the Blue Mountains and we'll shoot it there. But they did get themselves... They had to go and meet Joan Lindsay and ask her for the rights. And so when they were down there, they made the trip to Hanging Rock. And it's it's such a very different kind of um, landscape from here. As soon as they saw it, they said, no, there's no way we can shoot it anywhere but at Hanging Rock and we just have to find the money. And I think they had a crazy... I think they had five days or something at, at the rock itself. That was all they could afford. And they could only do it at this particular time of day when that golden light hit mm. hit the, the rock um, because the it was John Seal, I think, the cinematographer. You might have to edit that out if it's wrong. But, um, but yes, the light that he wanted, which was very painterly and romantic and beautiful, there was only like an hour. So they were at the rock for five days. I which think. is one of the most expensive things I'm led to believe mm. about location shooting mm. is that you've got... Getting the light right. And, you know, if you're doing yeah. a scene one day that you've got a continuation of an earlier scene, you go, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they did... They did think they might be able to come up here and then it's just it is very very different it's a different um different foliage different rock formations um what year is it said the musical and the book is set in 1900 although in the musical time there are lots of time jumps so there's joan in 1967 and we go forwards and backwards from that as well so how 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 old was she when it was written? She was 69. Okay, so she's she's long departed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she died in 1984. Yeah. Right. But you can go to her house so that she and her husband were two of the founders of the National Trust and they donated their incredible house to the National Trust. And it's when I say incredible, it's not at all grand. They actually struggled for money most of mm. their lives, but all of their friends and themselves were painters. So it's full of John Brack, Arthur Boyd, Sidney Nolan, crammed all over the walls in this quite humble wooden house. And the, the other amazing thing about it is all of their belongings are where they always were. So their slippers are under the bed, their clothes are in the cupboard, their band-aids are under the sink in the bathroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, it, the soap is still on the rack. The toilet paper is still there. It's it's an absolute time capsule. Like a shrine almost. Yeah, and you can go. It's called Mulberry Hill, um, and it, it is so worth the trip if anyone is So where is whereabouts is that? Is it's it? in um, a place called Baxter on the Mornington Peninsula. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's really, if you love art or literature and you're down that way, it's really worth having a visit. So all those paintings are all just there? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Be worth a fortune. They would be, yes, yeah. yes. And just, yeah, the, seeing how these two artists lived. Daryl's studio is completely intact with all his paints and palettes and racks of paintings in there and all their books all, and art. It's, yes, it's really amazing. So I've got a question for you that <laughs> I have tried to pose this to people in the past. It requires you to have seen three particular musicals. Okay. Um, but which one would you go for if you could go back and see any of them again? Mm. Would you be talking Hamilton, Book of Mormon or Lion King? Hamilton. <laughs> I didn't have to think very hard about that. Yeah, really? What, yeah. what was it about Hamilton? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan. Yeah. Um, um, look, I've got to say there are other musicals I would put higher, like if what? you ask me. Sweeney Todd. Oh, of course. Yeah, Company, what, what? 
Follies. I'm a big Sondheim fan. Um, there's a fabulous... Because <laughs> so, Sweeney Todd has a Sondheim example, that, that the way that the reprises and all those things, that, there's so many themes that just fit together like a really yeah. well-structured oh, watch, brilliant. aren't they? It's, yeah. so, it's so phenomenally clever. Um, and then there's a wonderful song, uh, musical theatre writer called Dave Malloy, whose work I haven't seen, but I've heard it. He's a contemporary American song um, musical theatre writer and composer, uh, and I would love to see some of his shows. There's also a show on at the moment on Netflix, I think, about the, the gentleman whose name eludes me, mm. who wrote Rent. Um, oh, Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson, yeah. yeah I don't know I if you've seen, seen the show. That, no. My daughter's watched it, so it's right. very good. Yeah. I mean, I only choose those three because it, they're pretty much any musicals I've ever been to. Oh, but, okay. But I've seen each of them several times. Wow. And, um, yeah. Which one do you prefer? Oh, God. Book of Mormon is easily, for me, the single funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Because I come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, so right. there are so oh, many. Okay. It's not quite as Mormon mm. out there, but mm. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, down, it's certainly down that path. And, um, and I was a missionary kid as well, so right. that whole idea, that, wow. and it just, I've never laughed as hard and as long as I did with that. Mm. I've said it several times. Mm. Hamilton, just because of the, the scope of mm. yeah, it's what so he's attempting, and, yeah. and as a... As a, and so ambitious. You know, I went and saw Jacob Collier the other, Collier the other night. Which night were you there? Thursday. Yeah, we were there too. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that, that's actually why no, we No, we were there Wednesday. You were there Natalie and Brilliant night. We were there yes. on John Mayer night. Oh, it wasn't right. John Mayer, wasn't there. But, yeah. but yeah, same sort of thing. The, the number of, the amount of moving parts in everything that he does. Mm. And that's how I feel about Hamilton. Is mm. the, it, in the staging as much as anything. Like when the, the staging at the Sydney show, well, all of the shows, so many, I mean, you're from a theatre background, so you'd understand it better than any of us, but I watched it and I just thought, oh, it was where do you even begin? Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it, I don't see that many music concerts and that really blew me away. I mean, Jacob was astonishing and his musical chops are just unbelievable. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know, Jacob Collier is a, he's quite young, I think he's 28. He is, yeah. Um, his parents were, are um, musical I think they they lecture at the London Con or some something like that. I don't know. And um, yeah, he's just got this. He's like a. People say this, don't they? they say once in a generation, but he's genuinely he once in a generation. Oh, he's this, astounding. This guy. And yeah. um, multi instrumentalist. And yeah, I don't know if you've seen the video that's on. Um, yeah, the Wired, the Wired magazine does explained in five levels. You know these videos. Mm-hmm. So on YouTube they've got mm-hmm. explained in five levels. So there might be a, a guy who. Um, there's a guy there who's an engineer who whose specialty is origami, and he explains origami to a preschooler, then he or a primary school kid, then he explains mm. it to a middle school, then he's high school, and by the end he's explained to a astrophysicist, right. uh, no, a um, sorry, a aerospace engineer mm. about how origami is this incredibly strong but compact form and mm. how they're using it for space exploration, um, you know, satellites mm. and things, and so there's five levels of explaining this thing to. Yeah, and Jacob Collier does one where he explains harmony. Mm. So he starts out with a primary school kid. You know, mm. harmony. You know how sometimes mm. song notes together they sound happy. Something so he explains that, and he's, he's an excellent teacher. Mm. But then the f- the fifth person to walk in is Herbie Hancock. Oh wow! And to his enormous credit, Jacob Collier doesn't 
try and explain anything to Herbie. <laughs> he listens. He asks Herbie questions and listens yeah. and learns. It's a, oh. it's a, he's an, he seems like a pretty humble guy. And yeah. He, I'm working with him, actually, on a musical. Are you what? Yes, yes. Why didn't we lead with that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I, I can't say too much about it now because it's still in the, in the pipeline. But, um, yeah, we've written a song together, which is good wow. fun. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah. I'll, I'll tell you more in the next podcast. Yeah. I, I would like that. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah would love that. So Jacob Collier, and not Stephen Sondheim. No, Jacob or, Collier. Or, or Book of Mormon guy. Yeah. No. Okay. No. <laughs> and so if I'm funny, Book of Mormon, moving parts and the ability to tell a what's potentially a pretty dry story in an utterly mm. engaging way, Hamilton, mm. and just for sheer puppetry magic, I think, did you see Lion King? I did, it's yeah. Extraordinary. I took my kids to it several times when they were really young and then when they were young women. Yeah. And, um, oh, my God, it's just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a wonderful production, very clever. Look, yeah. we're not going to tie up too much more of your time because you've probably got more writing to do. You've got your, your, your little friend Gus here who, yeah. who greeted me very enthusiastically <laughs> when I arrived. Has Gus had a good time? He has been in heaven. He's a city dog, so the most he gets to see is the local dog park. But there's a few walks I found that you're allowed to take dogs, like Minnehaha Falls mm -hmm. and the Katoom, the Cascades walk. Some of that's dog friendly. So he's just swam in the creek and chased possums and had a ball. We didn't really get past. We didn't really get past picking a hanging rock. We, it, <laughs> but you, you were working on that as well as the other thing. Right? Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. But m my focus has been on the play for the ensemble, which is called Summer of Harold. Tell us a little mm, bit. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap up, tell us a little bit more I about will. that. Um, so what it is is it's about objects, and it's about how a, a, a completely unremarkable object can shape a person's life and can define how who they their identity and how they live um and the first one that i had already written before i applied for this residency is based on a true story and it is about a woman who i met an artist um who in her early 20s did the whole backpacking to london thing and um needed a job and went to an agency and looked up what can i do babysitting you know housework whatever and ended up as the housekeeper for, for um, Harold Pinter and mm -hmm. Lady Antonia Fraser so you know one of the greatest writers of the ever yeah, yeah ever mm -hmm. ever mm -hmm. but certainly English end of the 20th century and um, she and her friend these two young Tasmanian women worked for the Pinters made lunch for Tom Stoppard you know, cleaned the house, <laughs> did the shopping, drove Lady Antonia's Mercedes to Sainsbury's to buy the groceries. It's this really sweet story. And um, she just, she has a very, very clear memory. And she even had some old diary entries and things that um, she shared with me. So when was this? What, what, uh, when was she? She was there in the early 80s, right. 83. Right. And so I... Which it was a very invented. different time because uh, yeah. from a, in, a, in a writer's life because the internet wasn't a thing yet yeah, and yeah. research was different and publishing was different. It was That's right. like almost an alien world from, yeah. compared to now. And she, she ended up becoming a visual artist but then she, you know, she just kind of finished teacher's college and didn't really know what she wanted to do. But um, I invented her as a character and made up some story stuff, you know, because what she she had was a whole lot of fantastic details but it didn't really coalesce into 
a, a drama with a crisis and that's mm-hmm. what we needed. Mm-hmm. So, um, but thanks to her, that play exists. And then uh, the other two plays I've just been kind of sketching out while I've been up here. Um, so th- sh- that one is a monologue. Then there's another monologue. And then those two actors perform a duologue as completely different characters. Oh, I've got it for mm. you. I'm, I'm going to help you. I've, I've mm. got something. I think maybe you're just waiting for Gus. <laughs> a little nod to Dave Mamet and call it a waiting for Gus. And <laughs> I don't know if that works. <laughs> But I'm sure you've had to wait for Gus on a couple of occasions. Waiting for Gussie, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm I'm waiting for him to bark during this podcast. I'm amazed he hasn't so far. Oh, he has. I've just been incredibly clever with my editing. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's been a real delight to chat chat with you. I'm really glad all of us at Westwards are really glad that that you found found this week useful. And again, I just want to acknowledge the Adess Family Foundation for their contribution and Katie as well. And thank you to you, Hilary Bell, for chatting with us today. Oh, my Appreciate pleasure. it. Pleasure. Thank you, James. Mm-hmm.